0: All right, well, if you've got a Bible, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3 today, and we'll be picking up right where we left off last week. Remember that Colossians is a letter that over and over and over reinforces the fullness of Jesus in all of life. And the Apostle Paul has been masterfully applying that to the context of the home. Last week, we looked at husbands and wives, and uh, if you missed that, I would encourage you to check it out on the podcast. And today, we take the next step further into the house, and we're talking about parents and children. And much like last week, uh, we'll only be looking at two verses, and both of my points will be exactly Paul's points. So let me read the passage for us, and we'll get right to work. Verse 20 says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate this to us, that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So the first point right off the bat here is this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now let's dig into this a piece at a time. First thing to pay attention to here is that this is one of the few verses in the Bible directed specifically to children So if you're a kid here today and you are living in your parents' house, uh, say under the age of 18, pay particular attention to at least the first half of this message because this is directed to you, and this is very significant. Because number one, anytime something is rare in Scripture, you need to pay attention to its significance. And on top of that, This would have been highly countercultural. You may recall last week that the fact that women were addressed alongside of men was a huge deal because women were basically treated as pieces of property in the first century, and children, sadly, were treated even worse. There was actually even a section of the Roman law called the Patria Potestis that power of the father, which basically stated that the father could do anything he wanted with children. He could sell them. He could turn them into slaves. He could even take their lives. And the law couldn't do anything about it because that was a provision that was allowed. So the state of women in the first century was horrible. The Bible came along and elevated that significantly. The state of children in the first century was even worse. And here the Bible comes along and elevates that as well. So, what some of us have been taught along the way that the Bible is this horrible, misogynistic, anti child kind of document, it's just not historically true. This is what's true. And so, if you're a child here today, you need to know that you are precious to your parents and you are precious to your Heavenly Father. And God cares so much for you that He specifically addresses you in this passage. And what does he say? He says, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, what does that word obey mean? Well, it means to put oneself under and listen to. Uh, it, that is significant because last week we saw that there's a, the voluntary submission of wives to, to husbands. But here, this one is more uh, wide in scope that this is the way that it needs to be, that, that children don't need to rule over their parents. Parents need to benevolently, Christianly rule over their children for the home to experience the fullness of Christ. It's actually two words. One means listen, the other means under, and you could read it literally. Listen under your parents or really listen to your parents and do it. And it also carries with it not just the sense of certain kinds of behavior, but also a certain kind of attitude. I heard one writer describe this as, Obey your parents in everything from a happy heart, for this pleases the Lord. Now, a couple other things to pay attention to there in what Paul says. This obedience is to be complete. When he says, In everything... That's what he means. It means in all the things that they ask you to do. Now, there is a natural limit, just like we saw last week, that it does become okay for children to disobey their parents if obeying their parents would mean disobeying the Lord. So that's what he's saying there. This pleases the Lord. So you obey until the parents ask you to do something illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. So just like we saw last week, Kids, if, if your dad comes along and it's like, hey, we're going to rob this bank, I need you to be a lookout, okay, you get a pass on that one. You don't need to obey that, and dad is going to go to jail, so you can decide if you want to go see him or not, but you obey your parents until it means disobeying the Lord, but it's also important to understand here that this obedience does please the Lord, so that means to obey your parents as long as they're within that right sphere and they're not out of bounds, is to obey the Lord. And this is right in line with what we see over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land." Now, I'll refer back to this passage uh, later in the message when we start to get real practical. But this concept here of obedience and everything with the right heart as unto the Lord is really, really important. That's what Paul is talking about here. And so as kids, that's what you need to be about. And as parents, we need to create an environment that makes this as easy as possible. We want everyone in our home to experience the fullness of of Christ. <clears throat> and so that's where Paul goes next. He says, second command, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons as well. Uh, first, it reinforces the concept that we saw last week of dad being charged with the spiritual leadership in the family. He's not the only player on the field there, but he needs to be the point guard, leading the family to church, leading the family and studying the bible so on and so forth he needs to be loving the mom like christ loves the church that's why all these things matter so much (coughs) and then also it's very important to understand that this is not a slight to moms in any way in fact some people think that this greek word could actually be translated as parents i could see that but i think that what is probably going on here is fathers are called out here about not provoking because of the historical context first, right? Children were worse than pieces of property. They could be killed without recompense. And here Paul comes along and he says, not only are children important, but I'm going to direct fathers who were much more given to anger, to wrath, to rule with an iron fist, who are let off the hook for that kind of behavior in the Roman law, and I'm going to say to them, let's show the world a better way. Let Treat these children as precious in the sight of God, as image bearers, as people that we want to see grow into a relationship with Jesus and grow in that relationship with Jesus. So don't provoke them. Now, that word provoke, what does that mean? It means to not unduly frustrate the children through an unreasonable exercise of authority. Uh, One commentator also points out that this could be a prohibition of consistently negative or fault-finding behavior toward children. One commentator translated it like this, Do not fret and harass your children. Another said, Don't overcorrect. And so, no matter which of these paths, we're all kind of in the same lexical little canoe here on what the exact nuance of this word means. What is very clear is that fathers and parents completely don't need to irritate children unnecessarily. Don't put them down. Don't be too hard on them and lead them toward a relationship in Christ. And Paul makes that clear at the end of the verse. He says why this should be the case, lest they become discouraged. And the idea there is that of losing heart of causing someone to go about in a listless, moody, sullen frame of mind. We don't want to do that. We want to do exactly the opposite. So, now that we have a little bit of an understanding of what Paul is advising and commanding, both children and parents, and fathers in particular, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how we do this. Now, let me say a few things to the kids but we'll spend the bulk of the time talking to the parents. The first thing that I would say is, kids, we need to evaluate where we are in light of this passage. If we came and talked to your parents and said, how is obedience at the so-and-so home? What would the parents say? Well, we hope that they would say, eh, it's not perfect, no family is, but we're going in the right direction. But if that wouldn't be the case... This passage is an opportunity to be addressed directly by the Lord, just like Paul is addressing these children, and say, hey, i got something better for you. I want you to become a Christian if you're not yet a Christian, and I want you to grow in obeying your parents. This pleases me. This is what's best for your life. This leads to the kind of blessing that Ephesians 6 talks about. So, kids, if that strikes a chord with you today, then you need to talk to your parents. Talk to them about becoming a Christian. Talk to them about obeying in the home and what they can do to help you do what Paul is saying for us to do. Now, the rest of it, I'm probably going to talk to the parents. But, kids, you listen and you pray that they would hear what God has for us today. So, parents, let me ask that same question about obedience at your house. And let me just say, as we get into this section of the message, this is one of those things where I don't know a parent that thinks they're absolutely crushing it. I just don't. And if they do, I'm suspicious of that parent, right? Because then you got like pride issues, and it's like, that's just rebellion of the kids just waiting to happen, and it's going to get on the news, you know? I mean, like that kind of thing. So I'm just assuming that all of us with kids in the home have some real heaviness about this. But let me give you some good news today. As we talk about these things, and obviously I can't say everything there is to say about parenting, I'm going to stay pretty close to the, the shaft of application that Paul is giving us here. So we're going to talk a lot about discipline, and we're going to talk about how to not provoke your kid in the way that he's Uh, 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 putting outside of the realm of what's right here. But I want you to know that my heart is for you, and more importantly, God's heart is for you, and that all of us want to experience the fullness of Christ as best we can in our home. But let's start with that question I asked the kids. How is obedience at your house? Is it going well? On a scale of 1 to 10, is it a 1? I won't give you above an 8 today. Is it an 8? And where do you need the most help? Now let me ask you another question, fathers in particular, but I think, again, scope of meeting can include moms here as well. Are you seeking to help your kids obey in the way that verse 20 talked about? Do you see yourself as, the, as a partner with them in that journey? Or... Are you provoking and discouraging them, perhaps unintentionally? Now, based on those answers, I want to file everything else that I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes under this general idea of how we can go in the right direction. We need to seek to grow depending fully upon God applying the gospel and taking the practical steps necessary to address the issues in our home. We need to seek to grow with full dependence upon God, applying the gospel and taking the practical steps necessary to address the issues in our home. So let's talk about applying the gospel. And if you're new with us here, I talk about this. And here's what I mean by that, that that we see the gospel not just as The golden ticket that gets us into heaven, but it is the light and life that also prepares us on the way to heaven. That the gospel isn't just what we need for salvation, but it is what helps us grow in our working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so we want to bring the gospel to bear in every single area of our lives. And I tell you, it is. So obvious how we can do this, particularly with the commands in this passage. Let's say, for example, you do find yourself and you're like, I think I do provoke my kids. So let me ask a gospel question there. Why is that the case? Let's do just a little bit of counseling here. Let's say you're too hard on your kids. Well, that could be the sin on the surface, But the sin under the surface could be you're too hard on your kids because you are defining yourself by your parenting. And in those moments where they just won't obey and you flip out and lose it and whatever happens after that happens, that in that moment your functional savior has become, I'm going to get this kid to do this thing. So God's off the throne for a moment and you're on the throne. And I can tell you this, from doing that in my life, I'm not a very good God. I struggle to be a good person most days, and I'm a certainly horrible Savior. So we don't want to try to be the ultimate boss. We need to let Him be the ultimate boss. And so we need to bring the gospel to bear in those moments, not in defining ourselves by our parenting, but by defining ourselves by who we are in Christ. That the truest thing about us is not whether or not we're great parents It's that we're greatly loved by the ultimate parent. Not that we're great fathers, but that the great father has loved us and called us to himself. And as that reality becomes more practically actionable in our lives, the spirit will give us insight into when we're out of line and will give us resource to help keep it in line and grow in this area where the truest thing about us is our identity in Christ. Here's another way we can uh, get off the rails about this. We get more upset about them disobeying us than the fact that they're disobeying God. What could that reveal? Well, it could reveal not just identity issues, but also some control idolatry there. That we want to be our own little despot, and it must be this way. Or if somebody knocks something off or spills their juice or whatever, okay, well, now the clean house is more important than trying to love this kid. Does that mean you just let kids spill juice everywhere? Of course not. But you know what I'm talking about? That disproportionate response, when on a scale of 1 to 10, if what happened was a 3, but you responded at an 8.7, that gap, that difference, indicates things in our hearts where we still need the gospel to sand off those rough edges. So we can see our need for Jesus, which is everywhere, revealed in our failure in this way. But it's not just being too hard on kids that reveals idolatry. Being too soft on kids can reveal idolatry. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Number one, if there's no rules, if there's no discipline, or if there's so little rules or so little discipline that that little Timmy is terroristic, Timmy, that's now ruling the home, and you guys, we've all seen that, what could be going on there is the parents want the kids' approval more than they are resting in the approval of God. And that's not okay either. There's idolatry on both sides. Or, here's the other thing too, I'll tell you a little secret here if you don't know this yet, being a parent's really hard. I don't know if you guys knew that. And uh, being consistent and disciplined is very hard. And the more kids you have, looking at us, we got five. TARS, hang in there. They got five. It's exhausting to try to stay on top of things. But here's the thing. It's some of the most worthwhile work that God could call you to. Now, does he call everybody to be parents? Uh, He doesn't, clearly. Not everybody has children. But if that is part of your story, we have a gospel responsibility to, to raise those kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, point them toward Christ, and part of that is discipline. And sometimes if we say, you know what, it's just hard, I don't want to do it, the idolatry there can be comfort. That it's more important for us to do nothing than to step in and do what needs to be done, whatever that is or it could be self, or it could be laziness. And so, on both ends of the spectrum, too hard or too soft, we're in danger of idolatry. So, what's the answer? Well, let me give you one kind of humorous image today that I think will help you, and it's what I call the gospel goldilocks, okay? The gospel goldilocks, that you don't want to be too hard. You don't want to provoke your kids and cause them to be discouraged, but you don't want to be too soft because that has its own provoking effect. And if you don't believe me, some of the kids that that I have tried to counsel over the years when I was doing student ministry, some of those that were most provoked and most in trouble were the ones that had no rules, where mom and dad were just trying to be their friend and they weren't their parent. And so you don't want to be too hard, you don't want to be too soft, you want to be gospel Goldilocks, just right, somewhere in the middle, that is always pointing them toward Christ. And let me give you some really good news here. Jesus has what we need. Jesus has what we need. You need patience with those little toddlers? Jesus has it for you. You need wisdom with those teenagers. Jesus has it for you. You need courage to deal with that strong-willed child on a regular basis. Jesus has what you need, and he's happy to share it. So when we think about applying the gospel, both as children and parents, we want to move in that direction, somewhere in the middle, from a gospel perspective. Now, let me kind of drill down on that a little bit more. And I want to give you my second image here. We want to put gospel Goldilocks in the gospel greenhouse. And here's what I mean by that. That everything in parenting, we have the opportunity, and I would even say responsibility, to use it and to leverage it to point our kids toward Jesus. And since this passage is kind of touching on discipline here, that's really where I kind of want to focus tonight, or tonight, this morning. Uh, I'm confused. It's been a long week. But the the whole concept here of using discipline to point to Jesus, a lot of folks don't think that way. But here's what I'm talking about. That as we seek to create this kind of an environment, it begins by understanding the nature of discipline in the first place. Let me give you just a few texts here that I think will hopefully hopefully change your mind a little bit if you're kind of like what is he talking about proverbs 3 11 and 12 for example my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves and as a son the father in whom he delights so what i'm thinking about here is that when we appropriately and that word is important discipline our children we are acting like our father who appropriately disciplines his children. So when we're doing this right, and even when we're doing it imperfectly, which is the best we got, we are reflecting the way that our father in heaven treats us. And listen, I know this is a challenge. Think about this, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. And I think this one's kind of funny. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The Bible is keeping it real this morning. And so part of our job as parents is to help our children understand, listen, God has a plan. He has a a path for us to walk. And when we get off that path, when we get away from that plan, God has put us as parents in charge to go on a rescue mission to discipline our children and get them back in the right direction. And that requires and points us to Jesus at every turn. But here's the thing you've got to remember about that. It always has to be from a heart of redemption and not retribution. We are never disciplining our children, whatever method we choose, to get back at them for disobeying us but rather to point them toward God that wants to change their hearts and help them obey. So it's never from retribution. It is always from a heart of redemption. So the way that we kind of talked about this when our kids were little, it's different now because they're various ages. We called it the circle of blessing. And this came from a book it's a book I recommend. I do like it. It's not a perfect book. I don't know that anyone is. But it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by a guy named Ted Tripp. Uh, his brother, Paul Tripp, has also written some great books on parenting as well. And they're basically working out of the same toolbox that that I think that we need to in thinking through the heart is really what matters. It's not just the behavior. It's the heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why did we steal this? Why did we punch this brother, sister, neighbor, whatever, why are we doing these things? And seeking to get the gospel there. But this concept of the circle of blessing goes back to that passage that we talked about before, that if you stay in here with mommy and daddy and obeying the rules, your life is going to be long and it's going to go well for you. Now, when we think about that, is every child that obeys is their life super long? No, it, it's, that's, not, that's not the way that's to be interpreted. But it's the path of that that points us in the right direction. And so what I would say with my kids, let's say whatever the, we're going through the day, again, having all these kids, there was always something happening somewhere. Someone was fighting, crying, some, some, somewhere. And I would go and I would say, so what's going on here? You know, this one blames the other one, you know how it is. But we'd kind of get to the bottom of it. We'd feel, figure out what was going on. And then depending upon the severity of the infraction, you're like the parent policeman there for a second, there would be some kind of discipline. And in our house, there was kind of a variety of things. And what I would always tell them is, listen, I always want to try to correct you with my words first. But if you step outside the circle of blessing and you don't listen to daddy's words or mommy's words, then it's going to escalate to X, Y, or Z. But I'm pleading with you, please listen, please hear my words so that it doesn't get into anything else. And many times it would, and then a few times it wouldn't. But whatever the discipline ended up being, there was always a gospel conversation that went with it. There was some kind of conversation that was like this. We'll use Nate as an example since he's not here to defend himself. Nate, what did you do? I punched Simon in the face. Okay, why did you do that? Well, sometimes there'd be a reason that made sense, and other times it was like, he had my toy, you know. But over time, as we practiced this for years and years and years, the answers became eventually like this because I love that toy more than I love Simon. Or I love that toy more than I loved God. And we would have a conversation, obviously, not with Toddler Nate, but as he grew. So, why is that? You know, because there's sin in my heart. Okay, so. What, what do we do? What, what, what has God done for us because of this? He sent Jesus to die for my sins. And then there has to be a consequence for this, though, right? There does. And so we'd have these conversations. Then whatever discipline it was, uh, that, that would take place. And then after that, people were calmed down. We would pray. And he would ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then if it was Simon that got punched in the face, he would ask Simon for forgiveness. And that was it. We go on. No holding it over anybody's head for the rest of the day. Discipline, gospel discussion, point to Christ as our help and our hope. And the only thing that's going to get us out of, you know, the the, the real mess that we're in, which is not bad behavior, it's wicked hearts. And then every time we would have those discipline conversations, we're always going back to the gospel. And we had little maxims that we would use that would help. Things like this disobedience always leads to discipline. And so over time, this gospel Goldilocks, not too hard, not too soft, but just right, in this gospel greenhouse of every time there was some kind of situation, and when I say every time, I don't mean every time. Sometimes if you're at the zoo, you can't like, okay, everybody sit down right here in front of the pandas or whatever, and let's have a little sermon. Simon, you start. You know, we're not those weirdos. But the... uh, I'm kidding. Nobody's weirdo for doing that. But you get what I'm saying. But what I'm getting at here is there's always a conversation about the gospel when it's appropriate to have. And there's always a discussion that points to the heart and not just the behavior. And there's always a patch up and then a move on. Because the biggest need that your children have, it's not simply that they would obey you. It's not. It's that they would trust Christ and obey God. That's what we want. And if we only go after behavior and we don't seek to address the heart, that can create Christian kids that can spout verses like the Pharisees, but their heart is empty. Now, here's the other thing to think about here, too. Parenting, it is not a mathematical equation. Okay? I know tons of godly parents that did it the way that I'm talking about today, and stuff still happens with their kids, and they still walk away from Jesus. This is not math. This is not a, if you do this, this is exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't work that way. But what I'm telling you is, we don't want to put any additional obstacles between God and the kids other than their own sin, We want to be pointing children to Christ anytime and every time that we can. And believe it or not, discipline is an opportunity to do that. Let me say just a couple other things here as well. Uh, Consistency is important because one of the things that I found that actually, to use Paul's word here, provoked my kids in their early, early days was when I would be very consistent for a while and then because uh, at the time when we were going through this phase of life, I was, I think, working three jobs and was in seminary on top of that. Uh, sometimes I was just tired and just didn't want to do it or couldn't do it or whatever. And so it would be like consistent, inconsistent. And that has that kind of un- un- unintentionally provoking effort that we don't want to have. Okay? So we want to be as consistent as we can. And then also, I would... Semi-regularly have conversations with my kids that kind of went like this. Hey, buddy, it, it seems like we're really having a hard time obeying on this issue. What's going on? Now, again, you don't have that conversation with a two-year-old, right? But you do have that conversation with a 10-year-old and say, how, how can I help you here? What's, what's going on in your heart that is causing you to lash out at your sibling? that is causing you to do this, 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 and this. And I would even say this sometimes, am I doing something as a parent that is making this harder on you? Help me out, help me help you. And you would be amazed at how much that kind of interaction means to children. Because part of that gospel greenhouse that I'm talking about there always pointing children to their need for Christ, guess what else it also includes? It also includes you talking about your need for Christ, and I was constantly telling my kids stories. Man, there was this one time where this, this, and this, and I didn't listen to my parents, and boy, you know, now it's funny, the kids would come back, hey, tell us that story again when you jumped on that four-wheeler, and you got super busted by your parents, and then they wouldn't let you, they love that story for some reason. Every family has these anecdotal tales where they just, your parents just got lit up for something. But my point is sharing your own need for Jesus and that we're all on this journey together and that we all need the gospel and we all need the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father, it created a dynamic, at least for us, where I think. Generally speaking, our our kids felt like they could come to us with stuff, and when they did, really fumble the football over here and whatever else, and that we weren't going to be like (sighs) Hulk smash, but that we're in this together, and how can we obey Jesus together? So that idea of appropriate transparency with the consistency And everything you can, pointing back to Jesus as your payment for your sin, as the pattern for life, and as the power to help us all on this journey, friends, I think it will help your kids do what they are commanded to do in verse 20. And it will help you avoid the pitfall that we could fall in in verse 21. So let me stop and let me ask you a question to ponder. Of all the things that we touched on there, what do you feel that the Holy Spirit might be landing on you to reevaluate with your kids, particularly if they are small and still in the home? This is the kind of thing that we need to think about. This is the kind of thing that I would say, husbands and wives, we need to talk about. Because this is, it's absolutely a team effort. And then let me say two other things as well. Anytime that I talk about this kind of stuff, there's the heaviness of, man, I'm in this right now and I feel like I'm totally fumbling the ball. But there can also be a heaviness of folks whose kids have maybe kind of already grown and gone. And you can look back and you can look back and say, man, I wish I had heard this when they were two. And so we need to be careful and sensitive and mindful of where every one of us are on this journey. There is no perfect parent in this room except for the Heavenly Father. And you need to know that. And no matter where you're at on your journey this morning, whether you're hoping for kids and they're not there yet, or you're a few years into it and you feel like you're making an absolute disaster of it, or, or you wish you'd known this, when they were younger, there is grace for you. There is grace for you. And so that's where I want to end. Because we've talked about Jesus and the gospel at every turn in this message. But I want to make sure that we also understand that it is the perfect obedience of Jesus that is the foundation of for this message. It is the perfect obedience of Jesus that is the foundation for these commands. Kids, the only way you can obey truly is because Jesus obeyed for you. And you're not going to get it right every time. But there's one who got it right every time. And your Lord Jesus wants to help you be The kind of child that we see in this passage. Fathers, mothers, you're not going to get it right every time. But there's one who got it every time rightly for you. And it's the Lord Jesus. And he is not provoking you this morning. He is not discouraging you this morning. He is saying, come to me. All of you weary and heavy laden parents and I will give you rest. You need patience? I got some of that right here. You need wisdom? I got a whole bunch of that right here. You need courage to parent in what is one of the more complex times in the history of humanity? He's got plenty of that, too. So may our struggle in parenting draw us to the victory that is in Christ. May our recognizing of our we're so in over our headedness draw us to the one that there's nothing over his head because he stands over all. And may our deep and abiding need for Jesus Jesus, be what helps us point our kids to Jesus every day. Let me pray that for us now. And we'll take communion. Lord, we are so thankful that you care enough about kids to speak to them directly in your book. And you care enough about fathers and parents to go completely against the grain of the first century and carve out a better path. And Lord, we thank you by the, the power of your Holy Spirit that this word is as relevant today as it was back then. That His has help for us, it has hope for us. And Lord, for those who feel discouraged today, I pray that they would be encouraged in the gospel. For Lord, uh, Lord, we pray for those that, that some of this, this may be the first time they've even thought about things from this perspective, Lord, that you would continue to pull that thread in their lives. Lord, we pray that as a church we would continue to grow in this area and in all areas and that we would experience the fullness of Christ in our homes, but in all of our lives as well. And we thank you for this time that we've had together to open your word. And we trust that it will bear much fruit within us. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.